Alrighty, welcome back to the Norwood Noise Podcast, episode 13. Lucky number 13 for me, or unlucky for the great majority of the world. Um, it is February 1st. We are officially one month away from March, the best month of the year. Um, and with that, uh, we will have a couple special segments today. We're going to talk about a couple things coming up to March and what to keep an eye on. Uh, if you're just now tuning in, if you're like a post-football season guy, um, you know, or uh, you know, just someone that doesn't really tune in until after the, the football season's over, um, we will have that ready for you so you kind of know what to keep an eye on for. Uh, the point being, we'll do a quick whip around of the past week's games as usual. Um, then we'll have our trivia segment uh, and then our pick segment and then a couple other headlines before we get to the Musketeer Minute at the end. Um, Graham and I are both back in the saddle here. Graham, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. Um, I enjoy, you know, a little taste breaker of conference play with uh, the SEC Big 12 matchup. And there's some really good close games throughout the Big 10 and uh, Big East. You know, these, as we've talked about, with the pool of uh, teams being so big, it's been awesome to see these neck-and-neck games that are going to matter a lot more than they usually do. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get right into that SEC Big 12 Challenge. Three notable games, and that's really, these are the three that were expected uh, to be the notable games from the past weekend. Um, we'll start Saturday with probably the most notable of the, th- I mean, you can debate uh, between the two which one was more notable, but I would argue that probably the more notable one is Alabama continuing their weird and wacky resume that they've got put together. Beating number four Alabama was in their place, but still handling them 87-78. And it was just interesting. I mean, Alabama looked po, you know, poised and uh, calm and controlled throughout the entire game. They really did, uh, you know, kind of hold them at an arm's length the whole time. So, Graham, I'll kick it over to you for uh, for a little analysis on that one. Yeah, I thought that Alabama played really well because they kind of changed how they've been playing. They really like a running gun, just chuck up as many shots as they do. Um, going into this game, they were averaging about 33s taken per game. They chopped that down to 20, which those 10 shots made a big difference. They didn't shoot that well. It was only 30%, but when the 30% is on 20 shots versus 30, it makes a big difference. Uh, I think Alabama played a lot better than they've been playing the last few games, but you cannot talk about uh, Baylor's loss without adding in LJ Cryer not playing um, you know, he's a 14 points per game scorer, and I think Baylor had a few cold stretches when Alabama had momentum that if you needed a bucket, they usually looked to someone like that. So I don't think that Baylor was at full strength, so it's not the best um, judgment of their skill level, but it was cool to see Alabama playing the way that they should be um, and getting a much-needed win going into the, the last leg of the season. Absolutely. I mean, I think Alabama was one of those teams that come March time is going to be one of those ones that you're just not going to know what to do with. Um, they're so spontaneous and so uh, spark heavy that they could be one of those teams that could you know run from that five six line all the way to the you know Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, Final Four uh, rounds, or they could be that one susceptible to the early round up, early round upset. So no one really knows what to do with Alabama at this point. Um, I think it's going to be a tough one to gauge come March. Another notable uh, SEC Big Twelve one uh, or uh, game was. Obviously, Kentucky and Kansas. Uh, Kentucky going into the fog and, I mean, kicking the crap out of the Kansas Jayhawks. 80-62, to 62, an 18-point win uh, for Kentucky, putting 51 points on the board uh, in the first half. I mean, seriously, just a, I, I, just a, a classic 
you know, Calipari, just great, great mat, uh, game out of Kentucky. Um, all around, not, I mean, it wasn't close. It, it, the closest it was in the second half was 14. And, you know, being a Kansas fan and being someone that's watched a lot of Kansas games, you think, okay, well, you know, they, they get the crap kicked out of them. They're down 20 at half. Maybe they don't win, but I think they'll make it close at some point. They'll, they'll get it back to 10 or 12 or even within, you know, a single digit margin. But, uh, Never happened, and uh, Kentucky just kept them at, at two arms length uh, away. Keon Brooks led the way for Kentucky with 27 points. He was phenomenal. Um, really just solid all the way through. And Oscar Sheboy just reminded um, Kansas that they do not have a solid big man as of right now, bringing on 14 boards uh, to David McCormack's one. Um, so, again, David McCormack didn't get as many minutes as he usually would, only 16 for him in the game. But even through all that, um, no great performances from the Kansas side. Ochai Abaji obviously come in off his great game against Texas Tech last week uh, with 35, I believe it was, 37 maybe. Uh, it was 37. Um, only putting up 13, which is rel you know, relative for him is not great. 4-14 from the field. Not great numbers from Ochai Abaji on Saturday. And just overall not great from the, from the Kansas team as a whole. Um, nothing crazy standing out on the, on the team stat sheet. Um, turnovers weren't terrible, you know, decent free, uh, free throw percentage. Rebounds weren't, like, ridiculously swayed. Obviously, they got out-rebounded, but anyone's going to get out-rebounded by Oscar Shibway. Really, the only big killers were just, you know, Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky shot 50% from the field. They, they were 31-61 as a team, so there's just not a lot you're going to do about that. If a team's going to come into your place and outclass you like that, I mean, it's unfortunate, and it's a tough loss for Kansas to swallow. Um, but I think a good one in some ways, too, because obviously being the Big 12 SEC Challenge, it doesn't affect the, um, the conference standing. So, you know, a, a good, a good you know, really solid loss to kind of wake up the Hawks a little bit, I think, um, but not enough to where it's going to hurt you, you know, for a Big, big 12 title or anything like that, still leading the conference at 6-1. and one. Right. I just think we've been talking about this for several weeks now with Kansas, that they do not have an answer uh, down low. Um, at all, and when you go against probably the best big men in the country, absolutely, uh, and Oscar Deshibwe, he got his everything that he wanted at Brooks the same way. I mean, the paint just oh, was owned by Kentucky. Kentucky didn't even shoot that well. I mean, if you take out Kellen Grady's four threes, they were like one of like eleven yeah. as a team outside of Kellen Grady, who played really well. So it was just definitely a, a paint-dominated game for Kentucky that showed that that's how they're going to get their points, and that's how Kansas is going to struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, again, I just think it's one of those tough ones that, you know, as a Kansas fan and as a, as a player, you know, obviously you got to swallow, but I think it's a good one to move on and learn a lot from, um, especially come March time, because this Kentucky team has shown that they're Final Four good, and I do think this Kansas team is Final Four good. I think you, you can have faith in them uh, and playing well down the stretch, um, but I still think I just still think you know McCormick's got to find some kind of feel down low, um, and I think you know I, I don't think Self still has a go-to starting five just yet, um, which coming into February March that can get a little hairy uh, going down to it. So moving onwards though, uh, briefly we'll go to the Battle of the Orange, uh, Texas versus Tennessee. Rick Barnes making his return uh, to the Frank Irwin Center for the first time um, since he was. Fired there actually uh, from Texas uh, has been in Tennessee ever since. Great couple, uh, great few years here at Tennessee for him. Has obviously, I wouldn't say rebuilt that program, but kind of had some sustained success ever since Bruce Pearl left. 
Um, so yeah, to some extent, kind of rebuilding after uh, that whole ordeal when he left. But again, um, you know, Rick Barnes done a really great job with Tennessee, bringing them back to where they are. Texas does get the win uh, at home, 52-51. This game was an eyesore. It was really hard to watch, um, personally. Um, I was kind of in and out on it, but Texas does uh, secure the victory against Tennessee. Um, not by a whole lot, but just enough. Courtney Ramey led the way for the Longhorns uh, with 18. No really big standout performances, uh, but just worth noting, you know, I heard from multiple sources around the around the game that uh, Chris Beard did whatever he could to make sure Rick Barnes felt welcome uh, at Texas back when he came home, um, which is awesome, and it's, it's kind of interesting with the stark contrast of what is going on tonight. Um, in Lubbock, Texas, but we'll get to that later. Uh, but again, just one of those things. It's uh, cool to see him kind of reaching across the aisle there. Hey, yeah, not much to add. Um, I like that Tennessee's been able to hang around uh, in a lot of their top opponent games this year. But uh, this is a team that if they don't like start to play more consistent, that you know the SEC tournament's going to matter a lot more to them. Mm-hmm. I think Texas is kind of in the same boat that they've been able to um, kind of find their rhythm. But when you look at Texas' remaining schedule and you have to play, you know, a ferocious Big 12 schedule, you can't, like, have a sloppy game at home versus, I think, an inferior team. Uh, On paper, you know, Tennessee's ranked and they've had a little bit more success recently. But I think Texas should be the superior team. And playing that sloppy of a game in front of your home crowd, I think, of course they got the win, but I, I was hoping to see a Texas team kind of solidify their stance and say, hey, we're good. We've just lost a few close games in the Big 12. Um, this Texas team is a team that I'm really looking forward to seeing. I've been following them so far this year. What What's the next step for them? I hope it's this year, but maybe it's the years to come. I think Chris Beard's done a great job kind of changing the culture around there. It wasn't really a bad culture. Shaka Smart did a good job there, but there's definitely some things that need change. I think they've done it, but they have just haven't put all the pieces together quite yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving forward from Saturday, looking towards Sunday. Uh, Sunday for me, I remember, you know, kind of Sunday morning waking up and, and looking at it and thinking, ah, oh, we got a really great sports docket today. And, and obviously I was emotionally invested in quite a few of the games, but on top of that, just overall a great sports docket. You got... Starting off, you got Ohio State Purdue, a ranked game at Mackey Arena. I always love watching the game at Mackey. I'm a big fan of that arena and that fan base. I'm obviously a big Matt Painter fan as well. Um, and then on top of that, uh, right after that, you got Marquette at Providence, another great game, high level, top top 25 Big East game. Um, and then for me personally, and Graham, you know you as well. Obviously, you were tuned in. You've got the United States men's team playing Canada in a World Cup, a big high stakes World Cup qualifier. Really uh, much, you know, much needed result for the men's team there, and then you got AFC and NFC championships. So really, it was just looking like it was going to be a great day in sports, um, and yeah, it really it, it got off to a it got off to that good of a start. Um, Ohio State Purdue was, I mean, it was awesome. Not not from you know from a third party perspective for Purdue, not awesome. Uh, had a twenty point lead in the second half. Ohio State clawed their way back. Chris Holtman did a great job calming their guys down and bringing them back into that game. Um, but, but Purdue uh, secured the victory and uh, had maybe the best net snap uh, of the season so far with oh, that yeah. Jaden Ivey buzzer beater. I mean, that was so crispy. Um, so awesome to hear that. That got me all excited for March here in that crowd roar. And I just, I, I love this time of year in college basketball. 
um, when you've got high-profile games every day and, and you can see stuff like that. Seeing him at that three was awesome. Yeah. I I think that Purdue has definitely lived up to the expectations coming into this season. Uh, you know, they've dropped a few games, but they've competed in every single game. Um, but this Ohio State team is just something I just really can't get ahead around to see how legit they are. Um you know, I think that they showed their composure and their star quality coming back into that game when they were getting just, you know, like kicked in, really. that They didn't really have anything going for them. And then they, you know, clawed their way back. I'm interested to see how Ohio State can uh, kind of shape up for the rest of their season because a lot of teams, a lot of people were, uh, you know, unsure what to make of this Ohio State team. And after the Xavier game, I mean, some people that people outside of the Xavier fan base were kind of <laughs> panicking for Ohio State, saying, "Oh, why'd you lose to Xavier?" You know, whatever. I mean, obviously Xavier fans thought the other way. You know that we just knocked off a ranked opponent and we're really good. But for people that weren't Xavier fans, I mean, it was time to panic. Ohio State has dropped some pretty bad games, but then you compete with Purdue. It, it I've, and just really can't like get my head around what Ohio State's doing right now as a collective season. Right. Yeah, obviously. Um, and then to touch back on Purdue, I, I'm still fully on the Purdue train. Um, I still think they, they are national championship good. Um, my only concern, and I did hear this you know, through a couple, couple different sources, um, drawing some parallels to Iowa last year um, with how good and how efficient they are offensively, and how bad they are defensively. 84th in the country in defensive efficiency are the Boilermakers. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. That's not a good number you want to see come March time because we all know how important defense is uh, come tournament time. But again, I still think this team has – it is just so good on, on the offensive end. I think they can't get it done. So we will see how that wraps up. Last other notable game, Providence Marquette. We'll run through it quick. But, I mean, Nate Watson was a force. After coming off, like, obviously – Providence, we'll get to Xavier later, but Providence secures a good road victory for their sake um, to move them to 17-2, and and then another good home one to move them to 18-2 and against Marquette. But Nate Watson wasn't really dialed in. He didn't play like their best player on Wednesday in the Cintas Center, but Sunday against Marquette in the dunk, he played like their best player. Uh, a, a absolute thunderous slam over three guys with 45 seconds left and, and one to really put the exclamation mark on the game for Providence was sweet. I mean, it was the place was electric. It was thumping after that jam. So good to see Providence get the win. The computer numbers hate Providence right now just because of check the schedule and just predictive metrics from like preseason and all that stuff. I do think this Providence team is good. I I don't think their record exactly accurately represents how good they are. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, but I do think that they're you know probably going to get a pretty high seed in the tournament and then they I could see Providence being one of those teams that's susceptible to an early round you know exit I you know I might have to disagree because I think that Providence has all the tools necessary for a very dominant first game when they play an inferior opponent and depending on the draw you know get it into the sweet 16 with ease I think once they play, you know, like a better team, maybe from a bigger conference, bigger school, with um, I think the the reason that I think Providence will fail is 
just sheer, sheer star power. I just don't see anyone on Providence's team that's going to be like, oh, I'll go compete with right. this person or like that person. And I mean, if they get like a terrible draw and they play some dude from... If they play a little Chicago in the second round, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I'm just telling you that like, right now. This is like a weird example, but like, let's say Oral Roberts is there in right. the second round and uh, is it Amos or Amos, Amos yeah. just like comes out of nowhere and gives you 35. Like I don't think that they can compete. Right. But if they play like inferior opponents or equal opponents, I think this province team is really good. They're very sound on both ends. You know, they're very, very experienced. You know, they have seniors and grad seniors galore throughout their yes, lineup. I, I really like the, their chances, you know, to do well against inferior opponents. I just don't know if they have the tools necessary to compete with you know, back and forth style of play. Right. Um, I mean, even in, you know, the games that I've seen them play with against Xavier, and I got to see a little bit of the Marquette game, like, if there's momentum in the game, Providence kind of like, kind of like, kind of shakes in their boots, and then they have to go back to their roots of, you know, playing slow and discipline. Right. Um, but I really do like this team. I think that the record kind of helps them out a little bit. I mean, I don't think that they're, Oh my God, they're eighteen and two. They're so good. Um, but I, I think that a lot of people should not count them out come tournament time, depending on their draw. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, getting off the weekend. Looking ahead, Monday was pretty ho hum. Uh, very, very chalk wins. Baylor securing the victory at Morgantown, despite being, or excuse me, at home against uh, West Virginia, despite being down eight at half, um, eighty-one seventy-seven there, and then Duke fifty-seven forty-three over a really interesting Notre Dame team. I don't really have a whole lot to say about them, but they beat them by 14 at home. Um, rolling into Tuesday results, the big one uh, from early in the evening, Creighton 59-55 over UConn. I, I mean, I think that was a must win for Creighton. Keeping them in the conversation for the tournament, they needed that win, um, especially after losing a tough, tough one at home for them uh, against Xavier on Saturday, and we'll get to that later. But, yeah, big win for Creighton. Um to keep them in the conversation, a really, really, really bad loss for UConn. Um, down 10 and a half, and just couldn't complete the second half comeback, unlike the X-Men. Um, so just a, a really tough scene there for UConn. Moving uh, swiftly onward, another early uh, result that was notable, Kansas over Iowa State 70-61. Kansas without Ochai Abaji and Remy Martin, and just handled uh, Iowa State 16 first-half turnovers, 22 in total on the evening. Not good, um, but Graham, as you said prior to the prior to the pot, I think that was partially due um, to Iowa State's style of defense and, and how aggressive they are defensively. So, I think an overall good result for Kansas. Definitely, I think going into this five game stretch of ranked games for uh, for the Hawks, I think this was the one that I thought that uh, they were going to lose most likely. Um, even with Kentucky and Baylor on the schedule, obviously lost the first one on Saturday to Kentucky. Um, so we'll see how they fare Saturday against the Baylor Bears. Um, coming into the fog, but again, this is the one that I thought was going to give us the most trouble, and the Hawks seem to handle it just fine. Yep. Uh, not much to add, other than the fact that watching this Kansas game, um, I really was impressed uh, with McCormick, you know, after bouncing back, he had a very good game. 14-14 uh, is very good compared to the one rebound game that he had against Shibwe and the Wildcats. And another... Uh, 
in addition is, you know, Jalen Wilson and uh, DeWan Harris, you know, really um, were catalysts for everything that Kansas had going for them. Uh, I really like that this Kansas team is starting to, you know, feel more complete. It is a little strange that it's without Remy Martin, who everyone thought was going to be the reason why uh, things went their way. Uh, in the absence of Ochai, I thought that, you know, Kansas played a really good game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another guy worth noting for, for Kansas, Joseph Yesifu, uh, the Drake transfer for Kansas in this game was phenomenal. I think he had, uh, let me check really quick, I think he had four or five steals. Um, let's see here. So he had, yeah, he had four steals. So just a really good night for him. Five rebounds as well. Like, he was just all over the floor. Only, only seven points, nothing crazy, but 23 minutes for him. That's the most minutes he's got all year. Um, good to see him getting get some good reps and really being all over the floor defensively. So cool to see that for him. All right, and then the other ones we're going to touch on real quick. Um, I have not been completed just yet, um, but we've got we can you know we can almost comfortably declare Auburn as the winner against Alabama again. Obviously, we don't know what could happen there, uh, but they are up ninety to seventy two at the under four timeout. Um, so that one's pretty comfortable there. Texas Tech is up 10, 70 to 60 at home against Texas. We'll get more on that here in just a second, but that one should be pretty comfortable down the stretch as well for Texas Tech. Providence is up four on St. John's. Looks like they might sneak out with a victory on the road at St. John's. Um, but and, definitely worth noting that one there. Uh, Arena with only 5,000 people. Yes. I don't know if you saw, but it looks amazing in that, that short, I mean, that small capacity Jim. Yes, absolutely. Did see that one. Um, Texas Texas Tech, though, was was really the headliner for me for the evening. I mean, five minutes. In, I, I was so excited to watch this game. So I saw the clip. Um, they were finishing up the Michigan State-Maryland game, which mm -hmm. was close. Michigan State got the win. But they were finishing it up, and they switched to a clip of Chris Beard walking into UBS Arena, UBS Supermarket Arena, sorry, walking in. Uh, to his old home that he called home for five years, three three elite eights and one national title or one national championship game runner up, and he was escorted by four cops, and was rained with profanity chants toward his name. That I mean, you know, I don't know. I I love it for the fact of like, you know. Rivalry in college basketball, like these are the atmospheres that we need. I'm all for it. Obviously, do I think Chris Beard deserves it? Absolutely not. He's a great guy. You know, built that program. You can't blame him for going back to his alma mater. I'm with all that. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of like entertainment value, I was like, this is great. Yeah. Um, and then, and then to make it even better, after the first TV timeout, they cut to Nature Boy Ric Flair in the front row wearing a red blazer, sparkly blazer. I mean, it was just the whole thing. You know, so many great loud chants. I mean, it was maybe one of the rowdiest atmospheres I've seen all year. I mean, it was up there with, you know, obviously pregame, not during the game, but pregame, Kansas-Kentucky on Saturday, um, <laughs> Mackey Arena on Sunday, Assembly Hall against Purdue a couple weeks ago for Indiana. Like, those were some of the best atmospheres I've seen all year. Um, and seeing those and seeing that live was pretty awesome. So Texas Tech looks like they're going to get away with the win. Um, and, and, you know, justice will be served to those Texas Tech fans tonight. All right definitely worth mentioning all righty so that'll wrap our game uh, recap pretty quickly here and we're gonna hit off um, real quick we're gonna roll right into the trivia section um, Graham would you like to go first or would you like I'd, to? I'd love to okay okay 
You know, we're gonna, you know, turn back the clock. Uh, <laughs> it's a not gonna bit. go well for me. Um, this innovative move was banned from college basketball and then was reinstated 10 years later. Okay. What rule change came in 1976? I mean, my early guess, like 70s and like innovative move, I'd have to probably say the Eurostep. Is that the final yeah, final yeah, guess? That's the final answer. The Eurostep is not the correct ah, answer. All right, what is it? In 1967, college basketball committee banned the slam dunk. Oh, I knew this. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's a good call. And was reinstated in 1976. Wow. Okay. We could have seen a world with Zion Williamson acrobatic layups. Yeah, that would have been pretty sweet. Would have been pretty sweet. Alrighty, I've got a good one for you. This is a little nugget. Um, I did not know this before finding this question, so it might be a little tough, but what school was the first team ever to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament three years in a row without, wait, this doesn't make sense. Oh, no, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. One more time. What school was the first team to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament three years in a row without winning a game? So, just to reiterate, I know, it caught me off guard too originally, because I was like, wait, a one seed lost to a 16th? Virginia, 16th Virginia, three? Virginia. Exactly. Um, but no, this was in the 80s uh, when top seeds got a buy into the second round. But oh, they okay. lost in the first, their first game three years in a row. So we're in the 80s? Yes. Oh, okay. I'll give you the, I'll give you the time period. Um, I don't have multiple choice, do I? Uh, no, you know what? I can give you multiple choice. No, no, don't no, worry. No, 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 Because I think I have a strong guess. Okay. Um, let me give you, I'll give you multiple choice. Just uh, just for funsies. Let's pull this up here. All right. It is. All right, is it A, Syracuse, okay. B, LSU, C, Kentucky, or D, DePaul? So it's not UNLV, which was my guess. Okay. Um, okay, so Syracuse, LSU, Kentucky, and DePaul. Wow, DePaul is such a reach that it just seems... Could be it. Kentucky, I just can't imagine they would go three straight years. Um, LSU, pre Shack. Right. Um, but they, they weren't that good because I remember there was an 11 seed question about LSU. Yes. So, and then the A was Syracuse. Yes. First years of Bayheim. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to go with the clock in here. This dramatic effect. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear this yeah, on the on the, uh, on the. No, I don't know if the pod can hear it on the mic. There's a there's an analog clock in here that's. I'm gonna go with seconds. DePaul. You like DePaul? Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. And that is correct. There we go. Um, I'm glad I gave you multiple choice because that was a, ri- a ridiculously hard question. Um, 
But yes, DePaul, I was reading this one. I was like, I'm, that is shocking. So I just didn't know they were ever good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why it kind of caught me off guard, too. But DePaul basketball alums. Oh is there anyone? I don't think there's anyone that crazy. Mark Aguirre. <laughs> the Detroit bad boy. Yes, that is, yes. That's probably the best one. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> that's about it. That's the list. <laughs> uh, not really. Wilson Chandler. Okay, okay. Um, Terry Cummins. All right, Rod Strickland. They had lost me there. <laughs> All righty, let's get into some picks, shall we? Yes, sir. All right. First of all, let's go 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night, February 2nd, Wednesday, February 2nd. Number four, Purdue, coming off a big win against Ohio State at home. On the road at Minnesota, going to the barn. Purdue, minus 10 and a half. Uh, wow, this is a tough one. Yeah, um, that's a lot of points on the road. A lot of points on the road, um, but Minnesota is not good. Um... Minnesota coming off two back-to-back losses with Ohio State and Wisconsin, barely sneaking by Rutgers, four straight losses before that. I think feel like ten and a half is just a good number. Um, Vegas usually is pretty good at these things. Yeah, I'd hope so. <laughs> um, they I make mean, a little money off of it. I think uh, Minnesota will cover, but I'll take a Purdue win by around seven six. Okay. Um. I'm going to go contrary just because I've been riding the Boilermaker train all year. Let's go Purdue by 15. I'll, I'll take him to win and cover. I, I don't love that pick, but sure. <laughs> um, next game, 9 p.m. Eastern. Wisconsin, number 11 Wisconsin, going on the road to the Orange Crush, the State Farm Center, Illinois. Minus, Illinois, minus six and a half. Six and a half. I could see this definitely coming down to the wire. I mean, Illinois has been putting the pieces together lately. We're Cabello back and Coburn coming back off the injury. They've just been putting everything together. This is this Illinois team is one of my uh, sleeper NCAA tournament teams. I'll call it now. Um, but Wisconsin is good, and Johnny Davis is really good. I think this is going to be a one-possession game with Illinois coming out on top. I actually completely agree with you. I think it's going to be very close. I don't think Illinois is covering that six and a half, but I do think Illinois gets the win at home. Um, all righty. So, yeah, I will take uh, Illinois to win, but Wisconsin to cover. All right. And then the nightcap, 10 p.m. Eastern. You might think this is a Pac-12 game. No, we are in the Big East for this one. Number 12, Villanova going on the road to number 24, Hot Marquette. Already beat him once in Philadelphia this year. Villanova. Minus four on the road. Uh, I really am, have been impressed with Marquette's ability to compete in these games and even win. Some games most notably going to Villanova, where only a Butler team has beat them since the realignment at home. I think that was a wake-up call for Villanova. They've been really good as of lately. As of late, I think Villanova goes into Pfizer form um, and just crushes them. I take Villanova by 10 or 15. Okay. Um, I will go contrary to you, only on the line. I think Villanova does win the game, but I think it's closer than that. Um, I will take Villanova on the line. Or wait, no, I'm sorry. I will take Marquette to cover, um, but Villanova to win the game. All right. All righty. Uh, one piece of news we kind of wanted to hit on real quick before the end of the pod. 
Um, Bruce Pearl's uh, new contract that runs through 2030 with Auburn. So it's an eight-year uh, contract, about $6.2 million per season. That's going to be over $50 million for the life of the contract. This is the first time in Auburn school history that the basketball coach has made more than the football coach. So just worth noting and, and cool to see for Bruce Pearl. All righty. Um, and then this next segment uh, we wanted to do real quick. Uh, quick shout out to Brian Bennett of The Athletic. Um, he runs like a college basketball uh, kind of bracketology blog. Um, and one, I, I was reading it today and, and wanted to throw in just a couple of segments that I want to talk to you about. Uh, Graham, first of all, uh, the WCC. Um, Four-bit WCC, what do you think? Do you think it's possible, almost a lock? Where, where are you at on that one? Um, well, I would all... I would love to see the day that the West Coast Conference sends four teams. I just think that the committee would just the committee puts that in. I would be extremely shocked. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's their decision. And when you you know you put in all the auto bids, and then you put in like the um, at large bids or like the no questions. I mean, you could really just go down the AP poll and who's receiving votes and call it a day. You but, really, I mean, you really get down to about. 10 to 12 teams, 10 to 12 slots left. Yeah. You know, and, and there's probably 25 deserving teams, but. When, but I think at the end of the day, when you break it down, when the Big 12 is so good, um, the Pac 12 has been, you know, at, at the start of the year, it's like, whoa, what the heck's going on with the Pac 12? But I think that they've picked it up. The Big East is going to send six, seven teams, I'm confident in this year. Yeah. Um, the ACC might steal two, three at at one second. It looked like it was just going to be a one. Yeah, I think I think Wake Forest is fairly safe, and Miami looks pretty good. Florida State's around the bubble. Um, I think North Carolina, and Notre Dame are probably on the outside looking in mm-hmm. um, for the ACC. But yeah, it's probably going to be two or three. I agree. Yeah, my my point is is that all the big conferences have been pretty well balanced outside of their top uh, few teams. Mm-hmm. And then you look at uh, the mid-majors that have risen this year with the A-10. Davidson and St. Bonaventure have been outstanding with VCU and Dayton picking it up in conference play. I think if one of like the top teams does it in their tournament and they deserve a spot, and you, you have like Ohio Valley, um, Mountain West, Missouri Valley Conference, um, Ohio Valley, and the A-10 sending two teams this year, right. I just can't see... Um, a future where the West Coast Conference has a spot to put four teams right. in the NCAA tournament. No, I would agree. I mean, because you think of a hypothetical scenario, say like Davidson, a team that's clearly been the dominant team in the A10 this year. You know, say they go on and win. The, say they win the rest of their, their conference schedule, right? Mm-hmm. And they lose in the championship game of the A10. Yeah. You know, they lose to VCU or whatever. That's that's a bid stealer because Davidson's getting in, mm-hmm. but VCU's got to get in too now. Um, and I agree. I think I think like Mountain West wise too. I mean, we had a big game there this weekend. Wyoming beat Colorado State. Stormed the court. Exactly. So now it's like Wyoming's looking like the team that's going to come out of the, out of the Mountain West. Who knows there? But again, Boise State's still got some work to do if they want to be in the conversation. You know, still some options there. I do think, though, I would disagree with you only on the Pac-12 piece. Mm-hmm. So you got Arizona's nearly a lock. UCLA, UCLA and USC are – those three are almost guaranteed going to be in the tournament. Oregon is a weird case. And I think, obviously, traditionally, you know, not saying that this affects the committee, but TV dollars and just knowing the committee as a whole and how they usually vote traditionally, I think Oregon will get in. But, you know, Oregon loses a game or two here. You lose to 
a Stanford or an Arizona State or a Washington State or some bad teams, and that's very likely. I mean, not likely, but it could happen. You drop some of those bad games, and all of a sudden you're on the conversation of like, hey, you know, do they really deserve to be there over, you know, San Francisco, which seems to be fairly safely in. I would say BYU and St. Mary's are in that same boat. And then obviously Gonzaga. So San Francisco is the one that, like, I don't know. I think, I think if San Francisco can beat Gonzaga at home at in San Francisco here, and I think that game's in about two weeks. I think that I think their season will be decided on that night. If they can beat Gonzaga, that will be a big enough push to say, hey, we deserve to be in this tournament. If they don't, I think you got to win out the rest of the other games or or win the WCC tournament, which would probably mean beating Gonzaga again. So. But yeah, that is all I have to say there on um, on the WCC. Um, a couple other things I wanted to throw in there. Um, what else do we have? Um, oh, this was a good one that I wanted to look at. Can Michigan claw into the field? Do we have any any thoughts on that one? Are they just too far gone, or what do you think? I think Michigan's too far gone in terms of an at-large bid. Mm-hmm. I think that they've just failed in too many games um, to just like brush. Po- oh, it's just one game. It's just one. it's been like right. ten. Um, but I mean, when you're well coached and you have you know guys like Caleb Houston and Hunter Dickinson, I mean, again, I mean, you usually don't hear this with you know a big powerhouse like Michigan. But what if they're a bid stealer? I think that their best case is you know to get. You know, punch their ticket in the Indianapolis this year. I just can't see that the right. crawling back and you know their conference play is enough to put them in. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think, but I agree with you. I think Michigan's one of those teams that yeah, definitely could be a bid stealer. You know, you get on a get on a little hot run there in, in Indianapolis and it could get interesting. Another team I think you got to look out for uh, come March time is is Indiana. I think Mike Woodson's done a great job there, and I think they're really uh, really fiery this year. So. All right, that'll wrap it there for kind of general college basketball. Musk's your minute. Graham hit us last Wednesday. What are your thoughts? Uh, wow. I think that under uh, Travis Steele, that when we're playing a big man, we're very prepared. Uh, Nate Watson was completely shut down, uh, and we came to play. We met their tenacity, and we were back and forth with them. Another first half slow start really dug us a hole. Another um, second war slow start, to yeah, be specific. Yes. And, you know, with poor shooting, uh, Adam and Nate not really performing to what they can do. It's not like, well, Xavier fans and Xavier coaching staff is expecting these guys to do something that they can't do. I mean, they're two of the best shooters in the Big East. You could put a stamp on that. Sharpie it and even put in discussion for best shooter in the country with Nate Johnson in the past two years. They just really couldn't find their rhythm, and there were so many times where, obviously, you know, we were within three points, and you know, oh my God, if he just hit one shot, I mean, I hate when people say that because like, oh, right. that's not how the game works. <laughs> but when you talk about the momentum that a Nate Johnson or Adam Cuckle three could have added to that gym, yeah, uh, that would have been huge. I think Providence played exactly how Providence is going to play all year. You know, slow, gritty. No one's really going to go crazy. It's just going to be a balanced attack. To add on to what we said earlier, I think that's why Providence could be a good tournament team, in my opinion. The Xavier teams really struggled um, to find momentum and keep momentum, especially in the first half. 
And to add on uh, to the Providence game, do you have anything? Because I was going to segue into Creighton. If yeah, no, I nothing crazy. I mean, just from from the front row, that was the most like the biggest gut punch. I, I maybe I wouldn't say I've ever seen live because I've been at higher stakes games. I'll never forget Kansas and Oregon in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. Frank Mason's senior year in Kansas City, like everything was set out for Kansas to to go to the Final Four that year and to have a memorable night. And Dylan Brooks banked in a three from like 40 feet at the shot clock buzzer, like with under two minutes to go to make it, I think it was a seven or a nine point game. That was a pretty big gut punch, um, but that one was pretty bad. At the buzzer there, that was, or darn near at the buzzer, I mean, that was really tough to, to hear that gym fall silent, especially after the Scrug, the Scruggs three that he just hit right before that, that really sent the gym into a frenzy. So, yeah, just... One of those, I mean, it's, I think it's the same theme all year, and we'll get to it again with Creighton, but just that, that after that first TV timeout, just digging yourself a huge, huge hole that is completely unnecessary and unneeded um, to have to battle back out of. So, But segueing into Creighton, they do the exact same thing on, uh, on, on Saturday on the road at Creighton in Omaha. And I think I came at it from this perspective, Graham. I don't know if you and, and, the, and the team had this same perspective, but after that loss against Providence at home, I said, we got to win these next three games. Yeah, like for it's, sure. it's no question. If we want to be a no-doubt NCAA tournament team, we've got to go win these next three. Um, and it was looking very glum at about 1 o'clock, or excuse me, 3 o'clock uh, Eastern time mm-hmm. on, uh, on Saturday. Down, uh, down 36, 19 and a half. And I mean, the team just looked on and looked uninspired. Seriously, I right? Mean, it was not not the best of uh, of showings from them in the first half, and then a nineteen zero that turned into a twenty nine to two run to start the second half. I mean, it was. I mean, there's there's really no words to describe that twenty nine to two run. I mean, that's that is an unheard of number. Yeah, for any team, uh, the twenty nine to two run is unbelievable, and then you add on what it, it entailed. It was yeah, the shooting performance. Jack right. Nagy four six from three. Nate Johnson five of seven from three. Yeah, I mean, I mean Paul that, Scruggs. I, I would argue a, a quiet eighteen. Yeah, no, I just uh, one bottom line is that you know we needed to win that game. You know what I mean. That, that's the bottom line. But the underlying thing is, is we needed a win with style, and that is exactly what we did. Every single Xavier fan, whether they're in Omaha or back in Cincinnati, was on their feet during that game. The entire bench was into it. Every single guy was walking off the bench when they got subbed out with smiles on their face. I mean, that is such a huge momentum change because now, I mean, you never want to count out any team in the Big East, especially... Um, this late in the season when every game matters. But, like, Butler and DePaul are inferior teams compared to some of the top teams in the Big East. When you get to play these two teams at home, back-to-back, if you pick up two big wins against these, team, against these teams, you now have a three-straight win. You're, you're playing with confidence. You're playing with that swagger. You get your shooters back into the groove with Adam, and Kunk- Adam Kunkel and Nate Johnson finding their rhythm again. I mean... That second half was, obviously, we're not going to play like that every single game. I mean, that's just unheard of to go on a 22, I mean, 29 to 2 run. But if we could play with that, like, even a hint of that, where we're spacing the floor well, we're playing great, tenacious defense on and off the ball, Mm -hmm. 
I just think that the Xavier team has the pieces that are needed to do really, really good things for the school in just all time. I mean, this could definitely be a first Final Four appearance, and that's without any bias. I mean, if you look right. at the team top to bottom and how we've grown every single game, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a Final Four team, but we just can't drop any more games that we don't put forth effort into. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, I mean, if they can get that first half problem figured out, I would agree. I mean, any team that can go on the road in conference play against a, a I mean, it, it's a, it was a quad one win. So they go against up against a quad one team and they put up 55 on the road in a half. Yeah, like that's, that's in a quad one game. That is unheard of. It really is. So to see that and, and to and to see that firepower that they can possess it's one of those teams that and I, a lot of you know college basketball analysts around the country have said this. You know, this Xavier team is – you can't guarantee they're going to be good, but if they get hot at the right time, it could go really well for the school. So I do agree. I think they have the pieces, but just got to stop digging yourself that hole. And, yeah, I agree. You know, you win these next two. You got Butler and DePaul both at home. Um, so that's nice to have. Um, obviously no guarantees there, um, but definitely, uh, you know, a chance for a couple confidence boosters. And then you roll on the road uh, to Seton Hall, um, a faltering Seton Hall team, if I may add. Um, still quality opponent, though, of course. It is the Big East. Every team is. Um, and then you bring UConn home, um, and that's that's really the next huge, huge game on the schedule for this team. So definitely worth noting all that. All righty, 45 minutes. That was a pretty good time there. Pretty yeah, good time. Not bad. Um, that'll wrap us here for Episode 13 of the Norwood Noise. Um, again, this is Tuesday evening. We will post this on Wednesday uh, for you for the Butler game, uh, prior to the Butler game. Nothing crazy, of course, with the Butler game. Just take care of business. I think it's kind of the memo um, across the uh, across the locker room for the Musketeers. So, yes, um, that'll wrap it here for Episode 13. Thank you all for tuning in. Tuesday, February 1st, Episode 13 of the Norwood Noise, and we are officially one month away from March, Graham. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to breaking it all down with you and getting into the groove of college basketball in March so yeah I think that we've had a great season so far uh, you know now we're into the second half of the season that includes you know March Madness of course but then you got the conference tournaments in these last few pivotal conference games hope everyone's uh, staying tuned to all the games that are coming up uh, we're gonna have a lot planned for March Madness and the tournament selection Sunday and all that good stuff so uh, just keep in tune to the rest of the world of college basketball, and we'll hope to see you soon next Wednesday. Have a good one. See you then.